bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 158 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast shares stories of hope, of healing, of transformation. And this week we have Chef Sandy Krebs, also known by her YouTube channel persona, Chef Viva Vegana. And she makes delicious recipes over there, even though I haven't checked out her channel. So please go over to Vegan Cooking with Chef Viva Vegana over on YouTube and check out her channel. Before I forget, I need to mention that this podcast was recorded before the podcast took a little hiatus and we are no longer in such heavy lockdown. Like I mentioned in this episode that we're in 5K lockdown, but restrictions have lifted here in Victoria. And so now all the us Victorians are allowed to travel anywhere within the state borders. So that's one change. Now, if you notice that I'm a bit more formulated, it's because I'm trying to read from a script so I don't go off track on a tangent and Ranjit gets angry at me. (laughs) If you don't know who Ranjit is, he's my editing guy. And by editing guy, I mean husband, love of my life. (laughs) Okay. And I also said in this episode that it would be episode 157. But if you're listening to this, you will know that Dr. Clapper ended up being episode 157 and this is episode 158 so I just switched it around for the first episode back I was super excited to have Dr Clapper on the show and so that's why I moved him to an episode earlier so that's the two two things that are mentioned in the episode that aren't quite accurate as of now when we're released I was super excited to have Sandy on the show because she's the very first guest who has come on the show who was diagnosed with aggressive glaucoma that I can remember. Um, However, Kate McGoy-Smith did lose her vision completely for five years due to diabetes and a few other chronic health issues. She was featured on episode 62, her story. It's incredibly powerful. I highly recommend you going back and listening to her journey with, I want to say chronic lung disease, um, diabetes definitely and uh, she lost her sight for five years I remember that she was housebound bedbound incontinent it was such an incredibly sad story and as a mother you know I can't imagine not being able to see my babies for five years but Kate couldn't see her babies for five years or be you know go and cook them dinner or take them to schools and all of those things she missed out and a lot in those five years but now she's you know healthy and can see and all those incredible things after making the switch to a whole food plant-based diet so it's a truly remarkable story sandy's on the show sharing her story today and i'm very very excited to share it and if you know someone who's living with glaucoma definitely worth sharing this episode this interview with sandy with those people in a gentle gentle way maybe offering if they would like to hear it don't shove it into their inbox unsuspectingly but you know just post it on your page and see if anyone any someone might notice or might remember it it might just come in handy for someone you never know so please share them to your pages or to your social media and 
You never know whose life you're going to touch. Okay, now for those of you wanting a bit of extra support, this is time for the ad from me. So if you're wanting support with breaking through limiting beliefs, old, stuck, negative emotions, if you're wanting to just feel lighter, better, healthier, stronger, more grounded in yourself, in your body, or just to have some time just to let go of the heaviness that's been 2020, like many of us, <laughs> feel free to reach out to me or email me or message me because um, I'm now a fully qualified hypnotherapist, NLP coach, a plant-based coach as well, certified plant-based coach, and I'm like two months away from being a Reiki master. So I'm already a Reiki practitioner and have been practicing Reiki for several years now. What I wanted to do was to be able to combine these modalities which focus on the physical body, on the unconscious mind, on the higher self, on the energetic body, so that I could form an integrative mind-body-spirit approach to healing. Because for me, it's been a combination of those things. My, my personal journey is some work on my mind, my mindset, my language, some work definitely on my diet, and support with maintaining that diet and and then some work on connecting to myself as a spiritual being and on on really taking time out to be with myself and my spirit which is what reiki does what does so much more than that but it's just a, such a beautiful modality it's just so gentle it's so gentle and nourishing and nurturing and Reiki is love energy, so it's just being bathed in love, which is what this whole planet needs more of. And as individuals, we definitely need we need more of and taking that time to be, you know, for an hour with love. So message me or email me if you want to book a time just to chat. It's just it's a free chat, so don't panic. And we can tailor an approach that works best for you and your specific needs and your and your budget as well. So check in with me. I do solo sessions. I'm doing Reiki as a solo thing. If you would like it, this is a solo session of Reiki or we can combine the three and really, 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 really do some powerful, powerful work together on yourself, on your blocks, on your areas that you might be stuck in your life, in your relationships, in your health. I love this work. So yeah, I'm passionate about sharing it with you all and message me. I'm happy to chat anytime to anyone and answer any questions that you might have. Otherwise, listen to Sandy Krebs. She is brilliant and you'll love hearing her story. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. So is it how is things how are things over there now? Well, you know, the new normal <laughs> with COVID-19 being a reality, I think is a challenge for a lot of us. I'm just trying to get in a groove of working out at home instead of going to the gym every day. And, and I miss, even though I never really talked to people at the gym, I always had my headphones in. I'd at least wave to people or say hello. And it was, that was enough human contact, I guess. But um, yeah, it's a little strange still for me. Um, I'm not one of those people that are just carrying on as if everything's normal. I'm trying to be um, cautious and respectful of other people and myself. So, um, you know, I'm just doing things a little differently for now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are gyms, gyms aren't open over there? Oh, no, they are. But since it's one of the highest risk places you can go, I think it's um, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most risky going to the gym is a nine because, you know, people are sweating and breathing hard and, and I can be careful with wiping down the equipment myself before and after. But um, when this whole thing started and the gyms were closed, I invested in some equipment for the house. And I figured since I have that equipment now and I've gotten in the groove of working out at home instead of at the gym, I should just continue to work out at home for the time being. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So everything here is closed. There is, where I am, we're not allowed to move outside of five kilometers. And, you know, the, everything, one person of the household is allowed to go out for groceries and that's really it. Well, I suppose that's why um, Australia has a little bit better handle on it than we do here in the United States. Possibly, but you have a lot more people as well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we could get into the whys and wherefores, but this isn't a bash Donald Trump show. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, not. Yes, yes. It's, it's been a really challenging time, I think, for, for many, 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 many people. But we're here to talk about your story, your, your personal story. So would you like to start at the start? Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know if you've read my backstory. Having grown up in a Sicilian family where there was a lot of intergenerational trauma and one of the few ways that women in my family knew how to express love was with food. And I think that that's probably a pretty common story. And you can develop some habits around food and eating that aren't particularly healthy, either emotionally or physically. Uh, when you're using food as love and comfort. Although I think health-wise, I was probably a little bit fortunate in that respect because much Sicilian food, which was the food I grew up eating, was or is naturally vegan. A lot of uh, Mediterranean and Middle Eastern food is very healthy naturally. And the recipes that aren't naturally vegan are usually pretty easy to convert to vegan. So I had a real um, foot up on the on the whole process of converting to a vegan diet. What, what was the food like when you, when you were young? You know, there was a lot of fresh vegetables out of the garden and uh, the national Sicilian dish is caponata. It's like a stewed eggplant with olives and capers and kind of a sweet and sour um, dish. 
It is. It's wonderful. Actually, I have a YouTube cooking channel, and that's one of the recipes that's on there. Ooh. So you can check that is this, out. Is this Chef Sandy Krebs? Is that what your YouTube channel is it, called? It's actually a vegan cooking with Chef Viva Vagana. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my alter ego. I'm going to have to write this down in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I have, I think, 60 or so videos on the channel. I haven't been doing a lot of videos because one of my few joys in life is cooking. And I found it was taking a lot of spontaneity out of the cooking for me to have to plan out everything and do the videos. And additionally, I was spending a lot of time trying to get followers and a lot of time on social media, which isn't really my thing. So I haven't been very active at doing the cooking videos, but there's, there's several there. <laughs> so it might be something your listeners enjoy. I'm going to have to check it out because I want to make that eggplant dish. <laughs> so anyhow, back to my story, I guess. I grew up eating uh, a very healthy diet for most people living in the United States. <laughs> it, what, it was a lot of vegetables, a, a lot of whole grains, a lot of homemade food, prepackaged food, bread that came out of a bag instead of the oven was just not something I experienced as a kid. So I was really fortunate. Oh, that's wonderful. And so you were talking about how the, you know, the experience of, which, which many of us, I think, well, I think most of us can relate to as far as giving and sharing love through food because of intergenerational trauma. I think that's quite common everywhere in the landscape. Yeah. But but how did it impact you, that? I found food as a source of comfort. And when things weren't necessarily all rosy and perfect within the family dynamic and eating was a way of smoothing things over or comfort or entertainment <laughs> or a way to be together, but not really talk. And so I think that, that as much as the food that I was eating was wonderful, it wasn't necessarily uh, a whole healthy scene <laughs> around the kitchen table. And then when I became a chef, having the cooking uh, being a way to make a living and a source of pride, it just added a whole nother layer of complication on top of my already really complicated relationship with food. So it seems like, and, and this, I'm a work in progress. It seems like I still think about food practically all day, every day. I mean, it just occupies a lot of my brain space. I completely understand. <laughs> I, I would say that I'm in the same position. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think there's a lot of times where they're good and positive thoughts and they're planning thoughts about what I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy so that I have good ingredients in my fridge so I don't just want to grab and eat fast, easy stuff. And 
you know, that that's a healthy thing to be thinking about in regards to food. But I think that, um, I don't know. I've never, I've never read anything about that. How much of your day should be consumed with thinking about food? How do you think having food on your mind? And, and as you said, like, I really liked what you said, actually, it was a really a aha moment for me when you said food was a way to be together, but not talk. And I think that many of the listeners of this podcast will be able to relate to that comment. And I don't think I've ever thought about that, but it is a way. And I'd never, I'd never really considered why it's so important. But if you love someone, but you don't know how to emotionally connect, you don't know how to connect with your words and say the things that your heart wants to say. If you're sitting together eating, there's a, there's a loving oxytocin feeling that you get together, you know, the food releases those happy hormones, especially when you're eating like party celebration, kind of gathering food with the sugar and the fats and the salts, you, you get that, that high, that love kind of high without actually ever expressing verbally that you love, love that person that's in the room with you. And that's, that's really like your words really touched me then because I was like wow like that is kind of the thing when we think back about our childhoods and food and the way food is used in in our families it, it is often a way of saying I love you without having to have that that oft awkward moment where you verbally say I love you or I missed you or I I you know, I care about you or. Absolutely. Yes. That's so, so true. Wow. Thank you. That was just a really, whoa, moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Glad to provide it. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you very much. And I think, you know, we're in the world in 2020, there are people that are really trying to connect with their emotions around all kinds of things, Uh, your emotions around food and around family and around relationships. When I was a kid expressing your emotions, especially for women or for girls was not necessarily something that was encouraged. I think probably for boys as well, you know, the real men don't cry or, you know, you had to be tough, but women and girls were expected to be long suffering and not tell people what we need or how we're feeling. And, and, um, I think the world's getting better about that. (laughs) So there's some hope. There, there is some hope. There is some hope. Um, there's always hope, but yeah, it is something that I think definitely we need to be more mindful of as a as a culture that the reason why we want to you know consume all this food is is a surface reason compared to the underlying reason of why we why we you know why we why we think we want to consume it and why we really are consuming it are two very different things most of the time. Absolutely. It's not hunger and survival. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I only ate when I was hungry, I 
can't imagine how different my life would be, how different my body would be, you know. Uh, I absolutely hear you. I hear you. It's the same, you know, like there's so many times of the day that you eat and you're like, I'm not hungry, but there's this piece of whatever this is. You know, these medjool dates aren't going to eat themselves. (laughs) (laughs) And they're fruit. And they're fruit. (laughs) How could they ever hurt me? (laughs) Oh, they're sneaky, those medjool dates. They're so sneaky. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Especially if you put an almond inside. (laughs) Oh, my. You're the you're the I interviewed Dr. Laurie Marbus, bless her, she's so lovely. But the other day, literally a couple of days ago, and she was like, You put a pecan inside and then you drizzle <laughs> them with melted chocolate and you put them in the fridge. And I was like, Laurie, don't tell me these things. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a big Christmas holiday treat, and my family was a almond stuffed date rolled in powdered sugar. That was. A big sweet treat for us. Rolled in powdered sugar. They're, they're so <laughs> sweet. Like, I can't, I know. I can't imagine. <laughs> it's like, how can we make this sweeter? <laughs> <laughs> and so how did all of this, like, eat, as you were aging, how did you notice your relationship with food becoming detrimental to your health? I had gained a lot of weight. I went through menopause very early. I was completely done by the time I was 42 years old. And I thought there was something terribly wrong with me when I first started going through menopause because uh, none of the women in my family went through menopause that early. So when I found out I was going through menopause, I was like, thank God, (laughs) I'm not going to have to deal with that anymore. But weight gain after menopause is a thing. And, uh, you know, your metabolism slowing down as you get older. And my eating habits, even though I was around food all day, every day, when I was busy at work, I would it wouldn't look good to me to eat it. I I mean, I'd have to taste things to make sure they tasted okay. And that seemed to ward off starvation. But I got in a habit of starving myself or not eating all day long. And then when I got home late at night, right before bed, eating a huge meal. And, you know, that's just a terrible eating pattern. I had gained a lot of weight. And of course, that affects your joints and your energy level and and just how you your you feel in general, not just how you feel physically, but I think how you feel emotionally, there's a huge impact. Yes. And this is an impact that we don't talk about enough. And I think I know we spoke beforehand and I know that weight loss and having a, having a healthy BMI is is important but some of the reasons for me and I as I'm hearing from you and many of the guests it's not that we like the weight gain and carrying the excess weight that I carried and that you you carried the emotional challenges that go along with carrying that excess weight where whether it's about 
how you feel in certain clothes, how you feel when you're moving your body, how you feel when you're climbing the stairs and your your friends are just racing up the staircase and you're like, oh my gosh, don't don't leave, leave me behind. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a while. Or you know when you <laughs> when you've got chafe, you know the, the rubbing between your legs and you're trying to do these physical things that you used to be able to do that you can no right. longer do easily and you're sweating and there's so many and that that awareness that because of our conditioning as women and as men a cultural conditioning as far as movie stars and magazines that it's like summer and things even if you're the most confident person in the world when you go out onto the beach and you're carrying a lot of excess weight I know for me, I was very, very, very self-conscious and my self-worth was really low the more weight that I carried. And it's not because I was a bad person. I just emotionally, you're carrying all of what society tells you you should look like on your shoulders, like a big weight as well when you're carrying that excess weight. And I think that there's a perception that a person who is carrying a lot of excess weight is either unintelligent or weak or, I mean, there's no positive connotations with being fat. And I know that there are a lot of people that would object to the term fat, uh, like that it's fat shaming and I, I respect that. I respect that notion a bit, but I also think that justifying being unhealthy, there, there's just no such thing as a healthy obese person. And there are healthier obese people, but, but there are not healthy obese people. Yeah, that's the thing. It's very difficult because as you know, and I know, shaming an obese person, and I was shamed all of my life, shamed for being overweight and obese by my family, by my peers at school, by, you know, by everyone. By yourself. By too, myself sure. more at most. People seem to think that the obese person doesn't know that they're obese. Like they have to point you it have out. To remind like them. they have to point it out, and you're like, "I'm already having a really hard time," and you pointing it out is making it harder. And so I understand the, like I understand the fat shaming movement because being shamed didn't make me eat healthier. Being shamed no. didn't boost my morale. Being shamed didn't. I or low self worth was one of the reasons why I got into the mess that I got into. <laughs> you know, right. so that's the shaming doesn't lead a, an overweight person to help making healthy choices it just digs the digs the hold the pit deeper for them so i so i do understand that but i do agree with you also that education and support support and education and and understanding are much much more optimal for people who are going through that there is trauma as you said inter intergenerational trauma at the start there is intergenerational trauma that are often at the root of 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 our of our obesity epidemic absolutely and that needs to be addressed and it doesn't need to be addressed through shaming people because they're already absolutely. traumatized so no, and, and i'm not i'm not saying that you were suggesting that at all sandy i'm just pointing it out to 
Because I oh just, no, just to we're just we're talking. just we're just musing <laughs> about it. It's such a complicated right. thing. It's such a complicated. It really thing. is, and I mean that's the emotional pieces around um, our eating issues, but there is so much fast food and junk food and pre-made food. And it seems like most of the world has forgotten how to cook (laughs) that, that when you're in a grocery store and you look at what's in most people's shopping carts, there's no food in there. It's all boxes and cans and bags and, um, I, I know that that's a huge piece of the, uh, not just obesity, but not being healthy. I mean, there are people that are, uh, thin or people that are what's considered a normal body weight that are very unhealthy that have, you know, heart issues and, and arthritis issues Mm. and all kinds of other health Mm. issues. Yeah, it's, it it is, it's such a complex piece. And and when you said about that, when you're overweight, we, when people are overweight, we typically view them as like ignorant or, or low intellect or, or weak, or, you know, a lazy or no will, lacking willpower, those kinds of things. And as mm-hmm. you say, that is such a <laughs> minimization of such a complex issue. And I think that as a culture, we do seem to tend to go and like we do it to ourselves. So if you're listening and you're, you're, you're carrying excess weight, Sandy and I have both been in that position and and we both we both we're both always hanging on you know like you're always <laughs> you're always hanging on to to the edge to the edge of that because there are so many factors because when you're stressed in a pandemic like we are now you know our our fight or flight is back you know as comes back into into action and then we go okay i can't think today because my my brain's not the thinking part's not on i've just got the the fighting and running brain working today so maybe I'll make different food choices and that is that I see that happening a lot in this movement at the moment that people are making are making choices that perhaps they wouldn't have made if they weren't in a pandemic and weren't in a situation where there was very low certainty about how the future was going to look for the world so that comes in that lack of certainty the the stress and the fear come in when we make choices the anxiety that we're all going through at the moment like as a collective that affects our food choices but it also affects our microbiome when we're under that type of stress our microbiome then says you need high calorie foods we are in a state of dire a dire stress that there are definitely dinosaurs with the amount of pandemic stress that's going on our bodies don't know there's not dinosaurs so our bodies our bodies say get the highest calorie foods and that's peanut butter and medjool dates Corinne. you need <laughs> you need as many cookies from the engine 2 cookbook as you possibly can bake in this <laughs> in this pandemic I do it now <laughs> do it instantly so so that's the that's our bacteria inside us literally driving us to make high calorie choices and that is not weakness that is not that's a that's a well functioning body that's saying we are in a stress situation what are the highest calorie foods in your house not knowing that the highest calorie foods in our house aren't blueberries 
<laughs> they, it know it knows full well that it's chips and peanut butter or whatever it is for you in your house, and and that's the thing with an obese person. Perhaps they have trauma and their body is literally trapped in a stressed state. Their dreams are stressful. Their waking is stressful. They have anxiety and depression, and it's unmanaged. And so their bacteria is saying, always reach for the highest calorie food. You are never not in a state of stress. And that yeah. that's not from being ignorant or stupid or weak or lazy. They're, they're driven by things beyond their control to make those choices. So it's an end. It's so convenient. It's so convenient. It's marketed everywhere. It's so normalized in our culture. Like, there are so many pieces to the puzzle and literally and, – and there's a lack of education around nutrition. Literally there's barely anyone at schooling or in our medical in our medical team who have the answers and the knowledge about this. So that we're pushing to, – to say a crass thing, which I always do anyway, we're pushing shit uphill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a chef, I had more nutritional – training than a doctor does. That blows my mind that our medical professionals don't know as much as the guy cooking at your local restaurant. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, we're learning so much more about our microbiome and the brain and our gut and being addicted to sugar and but knowing those things you can read those things if you're so inclined and learn those things but feeling those things is a whole different deal even after i was vegan or i should say whole food plant based because i started out with transitioning my diet to whole food plant-based and I hadn't really taken in the enormity of animal suffering. Um, I didn't allow myself to take it all in while I was participating in it. Um, And I've only slowly over the last couple of years really been able to take in the enormity of the billions of animals a year that are killed for human consumption and not only killed, but live in horrible, torturous situations. It's interesting that you say that, Sandy, because I think that many people that go whole food plant-based for their health, what, just from watching the guests on this show, most of us went whole food plant-based for our health. And mm-hmm. then as we got healthier, as our br- minds, brain fogs lifted, as our as our health improved, and that's one of the things that I talk about when people say to me, oh, you know, you should, that people who want to do help people lose weight or whatever, you know, uh, I always say that for me, getting healthy isn't just that you're healthy for you. The ripple effect of what your health gives to others, like ripple effect, when you're, when you're sick, and like for me, I was very sick in a very sick body, I had multiple sclerosis, all these things, and I was obese and depressed and all those things, I couldn't be a service to my community because I couldn't get out of bed. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't walk barely. I couldn't help out at my child's school. I couldn't, you never would have got me to do that. I couldn't have, and I couldn't have thought about the environment, environmental 
my, the environmental impacts of my actions or the impact to the animals because I was just in this bubble of despair, my own little bubble of despair. You can't think outside yourself when you're suffering so greatly. So it's really incredible to notice that most people, once they start eating this way, they start to look outside themselves and go, oh, and you can finally, because your suffering's less, so then you can focus mm -hmm. on the suffering of others. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you have more energy all of a sudden. So you, if all the energy that you had, you had to expend on just getting through your day, um, and that was it, you didn't have energy to think about anybody or anything else it makes sense. And it makes sense that if you're participating in a system that's causing harm or not just harm, but the death of, but making animals live in these horrible, torturous, awful situations, you don't want to look at that. You don't want to take that in. And if you don't have the emotional wherewithal to do that. It's not, I mean, it's not a good idea if you're right on the edge of sanity to try and deal with everything that's wrong with the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, and that's, that's self, that's self protection, you know, like that's right. That's self protection. I couldn't, I could not at my sickest have seen the footage of what happens to animals in our agricultural system. I could not have seen, I could not have coped with that. That would have, I couldn't have. Yeah. I couldn't have coped with their suffering on top of my suffering at that time when I was at my lowest. Yeah. And, you know, I think that a lot of people need the support of a community to unpack these things or, you know, not necessarily a therapist or a trained mental health professional, but friends and community. And uh, I think that the whole food plant-based community and the vegan community can be a pretty prickly crowd, you know, if, if a lot of people, if they were to join one of the Facebook groups or one of the, you know, chat boards and say, I'm still eating meat or I'm still eating animal products, um, but I really would like to get healthier. I'm, I'm sure that not everybody reacts in a way that is encouraging necessarily. Yeah. It's it's such a it's such a I th <laughs> definitely agree that the vegan online space is really challenging and one thing that I've kind of been I've really thought about this a lot like why what benefit is there for it to be so volatile? And I've spoken to a lot of people about it because if, you, if you're new and you're new to veganism and you're just tuning in and for the first time somehow and you're not aware, if you join these groups and you say anything like, I'm just eating a backyard egg from my friend's house <laughs> or my neighbor or I'm just having some honey, <laughs> yeah, you will get all kinds of hateful, hateful, hateful responses in the comment section. Lots of nice ones, but lots of hateful ones. And I've thought about it a fair bit. And one of the things I realize is that that happens in 
Christian groups, in Muslim groups. It happens in in groups, you know, about all different kinds of like environmentalist groups, groups where people have a really strong opinion. It's very difficult to have neutral answers and conversations in a in a on a topic that people are so deeply passionate about. And especially, I was talking to Dr. Ash Nayati. She's been on this show twice. She's a neuropsychologist, and she just she really described it well. And what I try to do now in those groups is not take it personally. And if you are have been, you know, trolled by vegans in the vegan community, because what is going on for vegans is ongoing. We are witnessing the world continue to to slaughter billions of sea and land animals every day in torturous conditions. And if you're a vegan, you're aware that they are suffering, that they are trapped, that they are sentient, that they are feeling, that they are frightened, that if you're a health food plant-based, you're aware that the health, there's no reason to do this because consuming their flesh, their secretions, their, is not benefiting us as a species any longer. It's not benefiting the environment. If you're going vegan for the environmental degradation of animal agriculture, you're aware that it impacts so many areas so devastatingly. Our cardiovascular health, all these things are devastatingly. And what anger tells us is that a boundary is being crossed. And with vegans, that boundary is being crossed Every meal, every moment, and that boundary is our, our that our anger is is reaching. So when you comment, I just say, "Honey, it isn't that. It's just a. It's a. It's like not to compare it to re- micro racism and aggressions against people of color or people of different sexualities, but it is a micro. Like the honey is just a little bee sting on the on the whole of what the vegan is feeling." in their hearts about what is happening in the world all the time, what we witness at the supermarket, at the cafe, at the, the convenient choices people put into their trolleys, that the, their choices are somebody else's death. You know, we see it. So, so I mean, it happens, but these people are literally in that stress state, that fight or fight. They're fighting for an ongoing trauma that they're witnessing outside themselves and they're si- the honey and the eggs feels just like a another reminder of a boundary being crossed and their anger at, at you isn't really at you if you're if you've experienced it it's at the whole situation and their powerlessness in that situation in that moment and that really comforted me to think of it like that I think that that's really a wise and and caring way to think about it and maybe help other people learn to be more compassionate uh, with people who are on their own journey. I mean, you didn't start out vegan. Oh I didn't start gosh. out vegan. And most vegans didn't start out vegan. That's the thing. But they're in there. And when, especially new vegans, like when I was a new vegan, I was even more bore, <laughs> upset by everything. But as you go on, you need to, you know, I missed chocolate. I missed cheese. I missed everything for a while. So wherever you are, if you're eating less animals, I'm 100% by, behind you wherever you are in the spectrum of eating all animals to eating less at a meal or one meal less or 
changing just your milk. I'm I'm a hundred percent. If you're eating honey still, I'm a hundred percent. Before I was like very much, oh my gosh, how could you? When you first when I first went vegan, I was like, How can anyone do this? <laughs> right. And then you learn that maybe loving people to your point of view is more effective than beating them over the head with a club to your point of view. Yes, it's so much more effective to love people and just show them how good you feel. Right. You don't even have to tell them. Just be that beam of energy and health in their arena. And there's so many great recipes that are so satisfying and, I mean, I'm not a junk food or a pre-made food advocate, but if you're eating ice cream, you're probably not making it yourself anyways. So there's so many plant-based ice creams out there that are really good these days. I mean, years ago, they weren't so good. So maybe if somebody tried a soy ice cream 20 years ago and thought, oh, that's terrible. They've come a long way. (laughs) Oh, my God. Even 10 years ago, they've come such a long way. Like the chocolates, when I first went vegan and I tried to find just a a hint of dark chocolate and they were just sadness, (laughs) you know, you're just (laughs) eating just sadness and you're like, oh, well, I'd rather have nothing, which I I would have preferred it stayed sadness from me personally because now I know it's so good. I'm like, so we've been on all different kinds of tangents, which I like. But but for you, when did your health get to a point where you you and how did you discover whole food plant based eating and and what was your health like? What were the symptoms that you were going through that you were like, I need to make a change? The one defining moment, the one thing that happened that scared the hell out of me was I had a couple of episodes where my vision blacked out. And the first time I was at a yoga class and I went from, you know, like a bending over position to standing up straight. And the vision just kind of came in from the sides and completely blacked out. And it came back. Of course, the moment I got home, I called the doctor and said, there's something wrong. I need to get an appointment right away. And they were able to schedule me for two days from then. And in that that two-day period, I had my vision black out three more times. When I got to the ophthalmologist's office, they did a pressure test on my eyes and they found that one of the eyes was at 67 and the other was at 70. And they're supposed to be around 11, 12, 13. And the doctor just said, I hope you didn't have any plans for today because you're not going anywhere. So they gave me medications to bring the pressure in my eyes down so there wouldn't be any permanent damage to the optic nerve. Over a course of the next several weeks and lots of tests, I was diagnosed with a rather aggressive form of glaucoma. 
it was funny. Well, not funny. Ha ha. Funny odd <laughs> that I could have all of these other health issues happening and uh, be obese and have joint issues and all kinds of other stuff happening. But the thought of losing my vision really scared me and made me start doing my own research past what doctors were telling me. And when I discovered that it was an inflammatory disease of the optic nerve, I thought I need to do everything possible to reduce the inflammation in my system. And I knew that that would help with arthritis as well, obviously, because that's uh, inflammatory issues. I was very familiar with vegetarian diet and vegan diet, being a, a chef, and I was actually a chef of a 100% vegetarian restaurant for a couple years, even though I wasn't a vegetarian at the time. I just was familiar with the what being vegan or vegetarian was, but when I researched what foods cause the most inflammation in our system and it's meat and dairy that's they're like the number one and two inflammatory causers in our system and i thought well i'm just gonna stop eating all animal products if those are causing inflammation in my system i'm just gonna stop doing that and see what happens. When I when I first started doing that, I didn't in my mind think this is something that I'm going to do forever for the rest of my life. It was I'm going to do this for a few months and see how it affects the inflammation in my system and how it affects the pressure in my eyes and at I was on four different types of medication every day. And even with really good health insurance, the co-pays on these four different medications were costing me hundreds of dollars a month. And I didn't want to spend the money on the medications. And they were, it wasn't simple. Like I could take all four of them at the same time every day. It was one of them you had to take two hours after uh, one of the medications and a couple of hours before another medication. And it was like this elaborate orchestration of trying to figure out how to take these four medications by, you know, the instructions and not have them interfere with one another. Yeah, this is a tricky part about medications, I think, for many people is that they you know, taking them, the timing of taking them as well. Like there's many tricky parts about medications, obviously, but the timing as well can be such an issue, like trying to time it around food and meals and when when to take them and then forgetting to take them. And like, right. yeah, like I know my 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 mom, bless Wendy, if she's listening, she's probably not. But, um, <laughs> but you know, she's often, cause as a, as she, and as you get older, you get more forgetful. So for her, she 
she forgets to take them and then she takes like a double dose later and then she's wiped out. Oh, no. So, I mean, if you can switch to a whole food plant-based diet and eliminate that, then you're... you're... (laughs) Right. And, you know, I didn't... The ophthalmologist that I was going to was a specialist because when they had done the first couple tests and they really couldn't figure out exactly what was wrong with me. And this doctor was very old school. Um, You know, he was an older gentleman, but really respected in his field. And um, I didn't want to tell him that I was afraid to tell him that I decided to cut out all animal products out of my diet to reduce inflammation because I didn't know how he'd react and I didn't want his judgment. I just wanted his test results, you know? I just wanted him to tell me how I was doing, not not how I got there. (laughs) Yes, I 100% understand that. And for myself, when I would tell my neurologist or my doctor, they're and it's tricky. And if you're listening and you have, try and find a different, <laughs> try and find, right. try Absolutely. and, a specialist, it can be hard, but if you're just generally unwell in a general type of way, you know, Dr. Michael Clapper, if you're in the US, Dr. Neil Barner, Dr. Kobolesos, and there's so many doctors, Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Mc- Dr. McDougall, there's so many, and I just recommend trying, in, in Australia, we have Dr. Malcolm McKay, and now there are, are others, but I my brain's it's early in the morning and I haven't got them all. But try and find one that understands and respects whole food plant-based eating because when they crush you, which they will <laughs> often, <laughs> when you say, I've gone vegan, and they say, well, you need eggs and you need, what are you going to get, your healthy fats, and where are you going to get your protein and la, 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 and you're just going right. to, if you're already sick and you're really frightened and sick, it's really hard. And I found when my doctors would say that in my early days, I'd go, oh, he's a doctor. He knows more than me. And, 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 you know, and I, and I would get my confidence would waver and falter. And I would go back to eating the old foods thinking, well, he's right. And I like those foods and it's easy. So I do recommend if you can find a new nutritionist or a dietitian or a doctor who is supportive and understanding and knowledgeable about whole food plant-based eating. It just makes the whole thing a lot easier. I absolutely agree with you. And it's funny uh, the his, I want to say intern, the, the young doctor who he was training, who I would see actually more often than the, than the specialist I felt more comfortable confiding in her because she was young. And I figured that as a young person, she would have a more open mind about a plant-based diet than a more old school guy would. So I think that that level of comfort with your healthcare professional is really important. (laughs) And even she's, cautioned me about making sure I got enough protein and vitamin B. And I said, well, I think you need to get enough protein and vitamin B too. And where's your riboflavin coming from? (laughs) Good job. And so how did you go then? Like how was, what were the changes in that appointment? I was having to go every couple of weeks to get my eyes tested and the pressure in my eyes tested 
And within six months, I had gone from being on the four medications down to one medication. And then another six months after that, I was completely asymptomatic. I still have the diagnosis of glaucoma and I still have to go get my eyes checked every three months, which I'm happy to do. But every time I go, they say they look perfect, clean bill of health. So I think that there are no AMA journal articles about a whole food plant-based diet curing glaucoma, but I have lots of anecdotal evidence if anybody wants to listen. Yes. This is incredible. And I'm you're the first guest on the show who has reversed their glaucoma. So that's amazing and exciting for me. And it is something that that, you know, I can't imagine the thought of losing your vision. And when you said earlier about, you know, that you had all these other you know, obesity and joint pain and things going on for you that you should have, you know, you should have, could have, would have about, you know, why didn't we act on those? Why didn't we, because I'm part of that as well. Why didn't we act on those, those little signposts along the way of, of, of disease occurring in our bodies? But I guess because it's so normalized in our culture that we're just like, oh, well, if, it, if there was only one obese person and we were it in our society, we'd be like, oh, this isn't, this isn't normal. <laughs> I should stop. To, I, yeah. I should stop being this. <laughs> but because everyone is, it's just such a easy thing to just let to let to let go. But glaucoma, losing your vision, and for me, losing my feeling in my legs, you're just. It's not your common thing that all your friends have got going on. You know what I mean? It's not common. And but the fear for me of losing a, my eyesight would definitely force me into action. And I don't know if you would have heard, but Kate, there was a woman on the show, a beautiful social worker named Kate McGoy-Smith. She had diabetic blindness. So she went blind for five years. She was blind, didn't see her kids' faces for five years. And she changed this way of eating. She had a lot of other things going on as well as obesity. She had lung disease. She has lung disease still, but now she needs oxygen only at night. She needed oxygen prior to whole food plant-based 24 hours a day. And she couldn't walk down the stairs. She was housebound, bedbound, incontinent on the top story of her house for five years and blind. And now she can see again. Wow. Right? (laughs) I cannot imagine not being able to see your children's faces for five years and then be like the first glimpse of your loved ones after five years and then not like now she's just out and about she just gets to live life after five years housebound in bed unable to walk she couldn't walk she was just in bed and you know that this is such a I mean, not her story, but so many people are so horribly affected by their diets and they don't even know that they're so horribly affected. If you suggested to them that there was a way that they could still eat and be satisfied and full and I mean, I feel like I eat a lot. I mean, because you do. Uh, 
eating, if you're not eating junk food, if you're not eating pre-made, pre-packaged food, if you're eating good, healthy food, you eat a lot of food when you're vegan. I mean, I think that if people just knew how life-changing and miraculous it could be and how they could stop taking medication and how they could feel better and have more energy and how just everything in their life would improve. You would think that everybody would want to be signing up to do yeah, that. Right? You, would, you would think like my, fa- my father, he hears about it all the time and he's just so, he's just still of that I'd rather, I'm, I'm nearly 70, I'd honestly rather be dead. Like I've had a good innings. I don't want to go whole food plant-based. And I just think, how could you not? Are you bonkers? <laughs> how could you not, Dad? <laughs> but he just doesn't. He just Why? doesn't. He just doesn't. But anyway, it's just so mind-boggling when you know, like, you know, now this is your episode 157 of this podcast. And there are 150, I have heard 157 like mind-blowing health transformation stories in this show and I just don't know how you know I I for me because I've have experienced it I cannot comprehend how you could not just think it was the best best thing in the in the world to do this because it's changed my life so profoundly and every guest on the show and how has your life changed like from from then to now and how, how long ago was it? Gosh, I guess it's going on four years now. Well, my vision is intact and <laughs> barring some unforeseen tragedy, it's going to remain that way. <laughs> my BMI is great and my I have... Um, several prosthetic joints from um, a car accident that I had several years ago. And of course, being vegan doesn't change that I've got, you know, metal rods and prosthesis (laughs) in my limbs. But even... It's not magic. No, it's not. But even there were other things around that that are much better. And, you know, my knees and my ankles and my feet and my hands, just everything just feels so much better. And, and, you know, I'm just learning a new way to love myself and love all sentient beings. And it's really been transformational. I think there's been kind of a softening of my heart around, you know, just having compassion for myself and for all other beings. And that's huge. I don't know if you know any other chefs, but it's kind of um, a hard profession. I mean, everybody prides themselves on being tough and being able to work long, hard hours and, you know, really take the heat in in the kitchen (laughs) and all that that entails. My whole persona was kind of wrapped up around that tough cookie image. And 
I am finding that being a tough cookie doesn't serve me or anybody else in my life. So I, I'm finding a newer, softer me that I kind of like her. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And it's something that it sounds really strange to many people, but it is kind of for many of us, it becomes a spiritual awakening in in a way that I never expected. I, I always, you know, was I wasn't I'm not a formal I don't have a formal religion. I grew up kind of in a Christian household, but I I went my own way and on my own journey. But with this way of eating, when you feel the shift in you, when you feel your health change in such a profound way, just from eating like life force energy you know you're eating these fruits these vibrant fruits and vegetables these colorful rainbows of food that you feel healing you like you literally can feel them healing you when you eat and then you realize your connection like that you're these are for you know you to eat to sustain you and to heal your body and to help you thrive and you feel your brain fog kind of clearing clear away and you you literally start seeing everything in this whole new light of this this relationship with you and nature and the plants and that you need the plants to live your healthiest and so then the plants and the the animals and it just becomes this wonderment of wow I never realized that plants aren't just outside there they're the things I eat and they're what right <laughs> they're what gives me my most optimal health and you just start seeing everything so differently and I'm pretty much every guest on the show just you can't help but then and your heart becomes so kind of wide when you've healed and you're like all these other people are suffering and unnecessarily and the animals are suffering. Oh my God, the planet's suffering. <laughs> it was just such a domino effect of this, this, this heart cracking experience when you, you realize that there's something so much bigger than just you and your suffering, that there's, there's healing possible and that there's, there's hope possible. And there's, if there's hope for you, then there's hope for others. There's hope for your friends and family and the animals and the planet. And But that, that was my experience. <laughs> no, I think that I have had a similar experience. And, you know, talking about uh, like your dad who he said, you know, I'd rather die than give up my meat or whatever. And I think that a lot of maybe older people feel that way about a lot of things, you know, they're, they're old and they're set in their ways. And, you know, I'm getting to be an older people. So I'm glad that, that um, I caught myself in time, but I, I really hope that more younger people, more people um, just coming of age now that can start hearing about how a vegan or whole food plant-based diet can help the environment. It's like the single largest thing that a person can do is to go whole food plant-based. That's the 
biggest impact, but bigger than not driving a car or, you know, not flying in a plane or it's the single biggest thing you can do. And I think that, you know, we really have to put our hope for this planet in young people because they are who is going to inherit this mess we've made. And I think that I hope that the more information that's out there about um, how positive an impact this can have on the environment, that more people embrace this. And, you know, there's more options out there all the time. So I certainly wouldn't encourage people to eat junk food or fast food of any kind anyways, because the impossible burger isn't for the person's health any better than a beef burger, but it's certainly better for the cow. Yeah, absolutely. And it's better for the environment. So, you know, to what extent people can make changes, I hope they do. I mean, my hope would be that everybody on the planet it becomes vegan soon for the sake of the planet and for the sake of the animals and for the sake of the people themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sandy, what would be your top three tips for people who are wanting to make the switch to a whole food plant-based diet? Become comfortable with cooking mm. because if you are just eating pre-made food, your gains from switching to a vegan diet will be minimized, I think. It's only when you, when you cook uh, whole grains and whole foods and plants. You know, if you're eating the frozen vegan dinners from the supermarket or the impossible burgers, your health won't see the dramatic changes that you'll see if you really start eating whole food plant-based. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to say, some, some people listening will say, oh, well, I can't, you know, I haven't got the time. I work long hours. I work on the road. There are literally in this podcast so many people from all walks of life, men who are truck drivers, men who are, you know, there was a, there was a Jeff Tritton was a barbecue chef. You know, he was a barbecue chef and now he's a now he's a <laughs> vegan chef. You know, he went from being the best barbecue man in his area to being a vegan chef. So there's people who've been, you know, who do long traveling jobs and long trips on the road and normally live off service station food and roadside stores that make this change. It's people all walks of life who have the doctors and people who have really busy, busy lives. If it's a priority to you, if your health's a priority to you, you can make it work. It just, you need to prioritize the cooking. But you can get things like slow, you know, like pressure cookers and air fryers and all these time-saving devices. Instant, Instant parts. <laughs> so, so there are ways to make whole food plant-based living quicker and easier for you. And batch cooking is one of them. You just need to reach out to people and ask. Ask and join the groups you know, the whole food plant-based groups in your area. Forks Over Knives official group um, is really great. McDougal Friends is really great. Um, here in Australia, we have whole food plant-based Aussies, which is really, really great as well. So 
find groups where people are doing what you're doing and and model off them and learn from them and ask them questions. Absolutely. There's so many resources out there and so many people that can give you great menu planning ideas. I mean, if you can spend several hours one day a week cooking and that will set you up for the whole week, <laughs> then you don't have to you know, if even if you're a long haul truck driver, you get an ice chest and take the stuff with yeah, you. And yeah, yeah. So, so it's tip number two. Be kind to yourself. <laughs> that might be number one, actually. <laughs> we have so many ways of being so harsh and judgmental with ourselves. You know, when you're harsh and judgmental with yourself, you're harsh and judgmental with other people as well. I suppose uh, how anybody would come to to cutting themselves some slack is is a personal thing. But however, uh, however you can get there figure out a way to cut yourself some slack. And I don't mean cut yourself some slack like, oh, I'm going to go eat a Big Mac to make myself feel better. (laughs) I mean, um, and so many of us who, who have food addictions or, you know, emotional things around food, the only way that we know how to make ourselves feel better is with food. So, um, you know, I would suggest maybe find other things that make you feel good or or other or discover a food that is good for you that makes you feel good. I think just, you know, treating ourselves kindly yeah. is important. Yes, I agree. I think that's a really, really great tip. And one that we don't do enough and you can hear it in everyone when we speak to people, how you can, you can kind of see when you're just talking to someone, how, how they, how they're processing their own negative thoughts about themselves and how they move in the world. You can, you can see in people's eyes that they're, that they're critiquing their every word and their every thought and their every behavior and their appearance. And we're all, and and that's not, I'm not saying that in an othering way, because I'm definitely guilty of that, you know, in different outfits, in different times, you're, we're always so harsh on ourselves. And, and it does perpetuate the choices that we make, because we're making these choices based on, often on self, deep self-loathing. Absolutely. <laughs> it's what makes the world go round. <laughs> oh, unfortunately, it's so true. Oh, deep self-loathing, the fuel of the planet. <laughs> Yeah. And how that perpetuates in our it's society. It. Oh, my goodness. Right. It's created empires. It has, it has. <laughs> and tip number three. Well, I think this kind of circles back around to tip number one. But find a community of uh, vegans or whole food plant-based uh, people that you can get encouragement from and who have traveled the road with dealing with families during holidays um, when you're the only one that's vegan or um, they can give you recipe ideas or just encouragement. I mean, who doesn't need a add a girl every now and again? I need one. I need one all the time. <laughs> so 
at a girl, Corinne. <laughs> Thank you. Sandy, where can, where can people follow you and find you? Uh, my YouTube channel is Vegan Cooking with Chef Viva Vegana. And that's probably the best place if you want to see me in action as a vegan chef person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the link will be in the show notes to that. So you can find Sandy there, Chef Sandy there. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and being my first glaucoma reversal story. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for stalking me. Um, uh, It's just been an absolute honor. I loved chatting with you today. I was really tired when I woke up, but it's been such a joy talking to you. And now I feel like I'm going to have a really great day. I'm inspired by you and ready to have a good day. And you're ready to go to bed. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, I am so thankful that you reached out to me. And I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. And I'm sure I'm going to be listening to a lot more of the other 153 episodes I haven't heard yet. So awesome. Um, I'm really excited to have uh, to have discovered your podcast because when I'm gardening or working out, I like listening to podcasts. So I'm so happy to have yours to listen oh, to. That's now. wonderful. I'm so glad. You got, there's tons, there's tons and it comes out every week. So <laughs> <laughs> um thank you again. It was lovely meeting you and I We'll look forward to following you and looking at your YouTube channel now. Thanks. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much, Sandy, for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story so generously. Please check out Vegan Cooking with Chef Viva Vagana. Please share Sandy's story with your loved ones on social media or at work or wherever on Zoom. (laughs) I know that everyone needs to know that, you know, you can heal your glaucoma with a whole food plant-based diet. Like imagine if people knew that, more people need to know that message. So your support, your sharing, all those things, you're liking, you're commenting, your everything spreads those stories, spreads those messages. So I know that it can be a bit like, oh, but I've liked 10 things today. You can like 11 things. No one's going to get upset with you for liking 11 things or sharing four things like, It all helps to spread these stories of hope and healing with the people who need to hear them. And I know myself, I needed to hear these. You know, I've mentioned it before, but for me with multiple sclerosis, I really needed to hear stories of hope and healing and that it was possible because you just don't get that message often from the mainstream. You get told that you're sick and broken. And I really needed to know that there was some other option for me. And it literally, people sharing these stories with me, sharing this information with me, saved my life and it. It saved every single person that's been on this show's life in some way. So your sharing helps more than you could ever know. Even though you may never speak to that person, they may never, on your friends list, they may never tell you that they listened or they watched it, you may never know, you're still helping. It still helps. So please share. And I will see you all next week. Enjoy the sunshine or if you're... In the Northern Hemisphere, enjoy the autumn and the leaves, the changing of the leaves and the breeze and all of the, the good gifts that are in your life. I hope you have a really wonderful week. I'll see you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road. 
Riding with you in the sunnier day.